0: Thanks for downloading this podcast. It's for personal use only and must not be rebroadcast, reproduced or used in any form without permission. Tell your friends they can get their own copy by searching iTunes for Radio Le Mans or visiting RadioLe The world's longest running motor-
1: everybody and welcome to Midweek Motorsport, it's Series 14, Episode 25 and we're back after a week off, after the mega month of broadcasting, uh, which actually continues, so it's uh, Super Month, which is more than a month, uh, as we're at the uh, Mobile One Sports Car Grand Prix presented by Acura uh, this weekend up at Canadian Time Motorsport Park. All of that starts tomorrow over on IMS Radio RS2. But for this evening, just after 8 o'clock in the UK, it's just over 3 o'clock, just after 3 o'clock, uh, here on uh, the East Coast time in Canada, it's a good evening, I suspect, to Tim. Except, Tim, you're not up in London, are you?
2: I'm not, and it's 9pm here.
1: Oh, OK, fine. Uh, and on a packed programme tonight, we have
2: what? Uh, we'll have all the usual features. Uh, we have some news, we have some guests. Uh, regular ones rather than special ones uh, this week. Uh, and uh, we'll just be talking about motor racing. That seems reasonable.
1: Then, uh, special, no special guests but regular ones. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's good for them, I suppose. Uh, let's see. Uh, it's always to, good to be regular. Yes, no, exactly. I was to exactly the same place. Uh, uh, Let's roll the jingle and have the top story.
0: All the latest motorsport news from around the world. Midweek Motorsport.
1: Right, Tim, shuffle your papers. What have you got? Well,
2: there's really only one place that we could start tonight, isn't there? Uh, European
1: Formula 3.
2: Oh, don't be silly. No, it's not even Formula 3 anymore. Um, Hill climbing. Obviously, uh, on the Sunday just gone, which was the 30th of June. Mm-hmm. Uh, winning for the first time since the 28th of October last year My with birthday. the initials MV. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's bring in our uh, correspondent, Nick Damon. Good evening, Nick.
3: Good evening, Tim. Good evening, everybody. And just so you know, nine o'clock this morning.
2: Ah, right. Yes. Just the ones, though.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm on today, me. I thought that
2: was which time zone you were in. I thought, hang on. You're no, 13 the, hours in, ahead of in, I'm London.
3: I'm in the same time as you.
2: Are you? Excellent. Yeah.
3: Well, I'm sure, I, I mean, are you haven't told me what country you're in. I'm not going to tell you what country I'm in either. But, you
2: know, I, I'm I think in. I'm a little further south than Munich. Uh,
3: okay, fair enough then.
1: Really stretching the technology tonight. Okay, so it's not going to be Max Verstappen. I'm, so I know that that is the case. It's going to be someone else.
2: So who shares initials with Max Verstappen? One on Sunday for the first time since 28th of October.
3: Uh, I absolutely know it is a fabulous piece of the trivia you found. To be honest, Michael have...
2: Vaughan, Maverick Vignoles,
3: Oh, very good, well done, excellent work. Gee, that's very good. I mean, I was, I was completely thinking in the wrong place there.
2: Uh, you are a two-wheel correspondent, of course, Nick.
3: I am, I am. And yay!
0: You, uh... yay! No, 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 no
3: you know, you can no, have a proper yay for the. When we get to F one, we'll have the proper yay. Love. Let's not o... let's not oversell it. Uh, really? No. You... Um, and, of course, the reason that Maverick Vinales uh, won the race is because Athens, in, uh, in the Netherlands, has no straights. The longest straight piece of road even has a kink in it. It's less than a third of a mile. So the massive straight line speed advantage of the Honda was of no use whatsoever. Um, and he managed to always look at contention. He managed to hold off um, uh, Mar- Marquez. He managed to beat Fabio Quantarata. I get that name wrong the whole time. John, help me out. Fabio Quantarata. Uh, Quanto Lomera. Fabio to Lomera um, managed Great. to be, uh, came in third. Uh, Alex Rins threw it down the road rather stupidly in um, lap four. And the big news was everyone's written off Valentino Rossi. That's it. He needs to retire. I heard that three times on the uh, coverage this weekend. Look, because he, his qualifying has gone off. He's, he's dnf three times in a row. Hang, the on, first time hang on, hang on, hang on.
1: Nick, Nick, he, he never was a good qualifier, even in his pomp. And certainly not since he's been on that bike. I mean, well, he, he's an extra... Uh, don't, don't I get... I, I've got a feeling this is not the first time tonight that I'm going to be frustrated.
3: Uh, yeah, it, it was, oh yeah, well perhaps he's turned 40, he's got another year in his contract. They're now saying that once O'Meara should... I know it's not his name, but I'm going to call him that for now on. Uh, should replace him at, um, at Yamaha. And in fairness, uh, the boy does look blooming good. Vinales has found a bit of form for the first time in a year as well to win a race, uh, as Tim points out nearly a year. Um, but Yamaha overall, um, well done for them for maximising um, their opportunity at a track they could win at with their various bike deficiencies, but they did leave behind their their talisman and star rider. But... Uh, you know, it, and it wasn't much better race for the, for the fact that it wasn't a foregone conclusion that Marc Marquez was going to win. Let me get this quite straight. I think Marc Marquez is a fantastic rider and deserves everything he gets, but it does get a little bit dull. And I will back reference this, I'm sure, when we talk about Formula One's supposed woes, lack of woes, uh, when people talk about, how, about MotoGP in comparison.
1: Oh, don't. Um, but yeah, the, I mean, other is, th- the other reason that Vignales won is because Assen always throws up strange results, it's in no. its contract
3: yeah but, uh, yeah but also it doesn't have any straights so suddenly it becomes a track where you know you you have a completely different setup to anywhere else it's quite flat actually obviously being in, well in the netherlands it would be but um it's a flat track lots of corners no straights and therefore it's it, it, the bikes which are set up to absolutely you know think about you know even last race i think was it last race Major last. Race, i think it was two races ago we got that massive long straight even in say european circuit and they're, and they're topping out so um yeah, I mean, I think Assen absolutely deserves its place in the circuit. I just get I get confused. I want to know when they stopped running the races on Saturday, because it always used to be Saturday at didn't it? Yeah, um, it was think... about
2: three years ago, I think, wasn't it?
1: Don't they still run the British race on, there on a Saturday? And, no, uh, one that, that, was,
2: that was the first one to uh, be a Sunday one. And then World Superbike started running on Sundays there. Um, and I don't know when MotoGP was, but it's what been exactly? a couple of years now
3: was the Saturday thing a religious thing? Like it used to be, you know, when F1 in the UK used to run on Saturday as well at Silverstone, was it, was it a religious thing or is it, is it just a weird, if you know, and you're from the Netherlands and you're on Twitter, please tell us why I used to run on Saturday until so recently.
1: at would Oh, all right, Okay. Um, you have noisy people around you. One of you two. Well, me, I'm, 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 I'm Billy
2: That could be me.
1: Okay. That's fine. Um,
2: there's a party well, going on here.
1: I can hear that, mate. Yeah, better rattle through this then, hadn't we? Um, the um, how much? Uh, how much of the the win was the the circuit? How much was the bike? How much was the rider? And why didn't Mark Marquez win? Did Mark? I, I didn't see any of it, Nick, because I was rather busy at the time. And did Mark Marquez actually stay on his bike this week? Yeah,
3: he was second. Um oh, was, okay. no, but it, the, the track didn't yeah, it came down to the fact is that the track didn't suit the Honda, it did suit the other the other bikes. Um obviously Marquez is a one-man team because he's riding with Lorenzo, and Lorenzo actually made it even more of a one-man team this time by actually having a massive accident in first practice and and, and ruling himself out for this race and the next race at the Saxon ring. So yeah, I think I think Marquez never the, the Honda never got a, a handle on it, and so he had to settle for an appointment. And we know now who's
2: going to replace we do. We know now who's going to replace Jorge Lorenzo at the next race, don't we Nick?
3: It's Stefan Bradle. So there we are. Yes. Everyone's famous everyone's famous woodworking tool uh is uh now in uh, in the other Honda. <laughs> On the other Honda. Uh,
2: who? Yeah, not in it. Well, who knows? Uh What uh who who um who feels pain when Rossi feels pain?
3: Um Motogp's marketing department,
2: <laughs> possibly. But which which rider?
3: I don't know. Actually, is it is it someone? Is it a nice ride like Jack Miller?
2: It's Franco Morbidelli.
3: Ah, oh, Frankie. Is that actually an interesting fact? and I, I don't know we've got a couple of minute's not to discuss this, John. But I was thinking about about whether the what would have been the seismic disaster of Rossi leaving three or four years ago is now kind of been mitigated. And they've managed to get a new generation through whilst he's. Yeah slow sort of drift. No, Um,
1: I I think that's a very good point that you make there. We have spoken about this on the programme, um, for the last probably four or five seasons, haven't we? And I do think that had he gone when everybody was saying it's time for him to go because he was, Oh, 34, 35. Um, then they would have had an issue. Um, he's had a, a, at least four or five more seasons. He's, uh, turned in some fantastic results, and it has allowed the series to develop in a different way. And, you know, some of these young kids coming through are really good. Uh, I'm not sure that the personalities are there, the riding styles and the excitement are there. And particularly the young Frenchman, who you can't pronounce his name, um, that's massive because that's massive for France as well. Look at how many people turned out at Le Mans for the motor GP, and that was all down to him. And he's only in his first year, and, and there are other people coming through as well. But the, the 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 whole of the the whole of the series looks way better now. All right, it's still you're still going to get the one sided nature of competition where one of the manufacturers is better than the others, um, and and that's that's not going to change, but. For some reason, and I don't know why this is, Nick, and maybe you've got an idea. You do seem to get MotoGP fans who are um, a rider fan. It's a rider rather than a manufacturer, and they'll follow him across. It's it's not like you. It seems as though it's not like you're particularly a Suzuki fan or a Yamaha fan. Ducati fans, okay, a bit different, but but other fans seem to follow the rider, and I don't really know why that is.
3: I think it's. I think there's a different relationship between the fan and um, riders and drivers. The, the thing about the riders is, is they are so much more visible. Everything you, you see it. about the, the vehicle going around is the rider. The riders are they hanging off, you know. And, and I think that the, the fact is, that if we if we are absolutely honest with ourselves, we all think that with the right chances, the right brakes, and the right rich father, we could be Lance Stroll and run F1. None yeah. of us think, none of us think with the right brakes, the right father, we need Mark Marquez or Valentino Rossi. You that's know, true. And, and I think that's the difference. And I think, therefore, people who have, we are in awe of what uh, professional motorcycle riders can do, especially people like you and I who, who ride motorcycles on the road and occasionally mm-hmm. have track days and are average. Um, and I think, you know, it's, it's a situation where you, that's why you get that that loyalty to the individual right. and I think, yeah, you, know, you look in looking in, in F one. Obviously, the biggest fan base is Ferrari, and there are other team fans. But then you obviously do still have some of the you know, the, the people who follow racing driver. But that's very that's very much um, country based. So, you know, Max Verstappen fans, they are the Dutch. Ricardo fans, on the whole, are Australian. Hamilton, British. Whereas, you know, your Rossi fan, and I'm sure your Marquez fan, is pan European, pan world. You know, that's it, it's they they don't. They, they transcend their, their country boundaries because I think they are just more there because you can see so much more of what they're doing and, and realise, I can't do that. So I'm going to, you know, I am respectful and in awe of you. Yeah, absolutely. Where's the next race, Nick? Saxon Ring, so Honda are going to win.
1: <laughs> uh, whilst, presumably whilst playing death metal um, and uh, <laughs> in power chords. Is it exactly. a big power yeah. chord circuit? Is it Saxon
3: Ring? It, it, the up and down. It, 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 I do think that would that, be brilliant, wouldn't it? They could combine a it's like a, a heavy metal festival with the Saxon Ring. Brilliant, yeah. And now playing with Slayer, Mark Marquez.
1: <laughs> well, or Saxon, even even better. Well, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, right. Okay, are we going to leave Nick there and come back to him, uh, Tim, or are we going to carry on into another story with someone else with the initials uh, Mike Victor?
2: I was gonna talk uh, briefly about one more uh, MotoGP rider who missed the race oh, okay. of the weekend. That's Johan Zarko. Mm. Did
3: he miss it? I didn't sorry, I didn't realize he missed it. He was in qualifying. I didn't realize he missed Arm it. Arm pump. Oh, I completely really? missed that while watching. Well, whilst watching the actual race itself, I had – I mean, because he's got so – since he's moved to KTM, which has been a disaster of Pierre Gasly form, um, he, had, um, he, has, he has disappeared entirely from my radar. And whilst I saw him struggling in qualifying, I didn't even know he hadn't started the race. I am quite bad, though. I don't bother with watching the build up of these things. I just literally – you know, I saw it as live after qualifying, so after the, after the F1 race. And I just fast-forwarded to the start of the race. So when they probably explained three times he wasn't there, I didn't notice.
2: Uh they might not have mentioned it either. Yeah. Uh let's move on to Formula One then. Uh and you've
3: made... oh, have I gone too soon?
1: Yeah, you've starting that
3: bit. Okay, go.
1: Now let's move on to Formula One with our correspondent Nick Dierman.
3: Hooray! Hey! Formula One's not dead. One week of death and life support, now it's back again from total death to total brilliance. Because that's what life's oh for goodness sake.
1: Uh, form- Apparently, Liberty have decided to call, uh, to rename Formula One, Formula Lazarus. Uh, is, is...
3: <laughs> oh, my God. Honestly, the ridic- we, we, we didn't have, a, we didn't have a, a, a show last week, but the ridiculous rubbish that was spouted last week has been replaced by effectively every single person on Facebook and Twitter having to eat humble pie. Because they've been proven, they hadn't stopped watching it by the fact they were commenting on how good the race was. This, I mean, honestly. Oh, I mean, Nick. No. Nick, let's let's be very clear
1: about this. Um, I didn't. I've never seen a single lap of the of any race, every Formula One race in the current era at, uh, at at France, and it appears I haven't missed much. But then again, we could have all predicted that. Um, I didn't see very much of the race. I might catch some of the, the replay when I got down to my hotel on Sunday night after the sailing six hours at the Glen. And what I saw at the Red Bull ring was exactly as I expected. And we could have all predicted that as well. It, 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 neither of those, together or separately, say anything about what Formula One is or isn't. It's a product of the track and it's... A, a, and. And let's just move on. It doesn't prove anything
3: one way or another, does it? No, I completely. I ninety-seven percent agree with you. Um, France is never going to produce a good race because there's no jeopardy. You can do whatever you like. There's no jeopardy, um, and so the drivers do whatever they like. And it isn't a pretty well-designed circuit because it's not designed for racing. It's designed for testing. Yeah. Um, the Austrian race was a exceptionally entertaining hour and, and twenty minutes, of, or hour and thirty minutes of motor racing because of um, all the things that Liberty wanted to work, which was, you know, randomness, a good track, a good design, tyre, different tyre strategies, degradation, everything else. However, let's be absolutely honest about this. And I don't want to rain on the parade of Formula 1 because I love Formula 1. And I I even last week did a thing I never do, which is start minor arguments with people who are going, (laughs) everything's better than Formula 1, saying, stop it, you're being ridiculous. Um, The key point... The key reason that that race was so good was because it was at 700 meters altitude, 35 degrees centigrade, and Mercedes car runs hot. Yeah, very because good. Otherwise, the fact is that the even with that penalty that Hamilton had, if you saw what he was able to do in the couple of free air laps he got, and he would have, he hadn't, he wasn't a great weekend for him, but he got fifth. That's fine. More importantly, his two real main rivals got fourth and third. No harm, no foul, as far as he was concerned. If he hadn't clunked the wing, he would have got botas. Uh, no problem at all. And they were lifting and coasting four hundred meters back because Mercedes got it completely wrong. Now people go, whoa, oh, whoa, that's nice. Oh, Mercedes have to change everything around. People no, they don't people don't realise the effect of altitude on cooling. Mercedes have always had a marginal. Seven. I was. was interesting. I was really interested about this. Was it, about what it does with power and everything else. There's a. There's a very complicated calculator you can do, which is actually dyno. It's, a, it's something they use for dynos. Um, and you put in the air pressure, you put in the altitude, you put in the temperature. And it tells you what the real altitude is compared to sea level on, on a normal day is. When you put in 700 meters and 35 degrees centigrade, it's the same as being at 4,400 feet. Wow. Because of the, what, what the and the dew and point, what that actually does. To the, to, and that's, that doesn't have the same effect on the um, power reductions you would have at 4,000 4,400. It does have the same reduction on the cooling ability, and obviously also the drag and everything else. So Mercedes, which has got a car which has got great downforce and great power, but marginal cooling, you know, it's their own fault. Don't be wrong, I'm not making an excuse for them because they could have done the calculation as well. They couldn't cool the car. But this is not going to be an issue that's going to turn up again. Because you get a hot race, you get a hot race, uh, two reasons they'll have sorted it out. But more importantly, it's never 35 degrees at Silvers, and Silvers is at sea level. It's never 35 degrees in Germany. Germany's about, I think, 150 meters. You go to Hungary, which is the next hot one, that's, not very high up either, yeah. and then have sorted it. So, it's much... Do you remember about... I can't remember what was, four years ago or five years ago, <laughs> when the states had an absolute mare. Do you remember that? They had a total really? mare, and, they, really? and the press spent two weeks going, it's all over, the hybrid era's changed, it's all going to change, and back at Suzuka, one, two, by a lap and a half, because yeah. that's the fact. To get, in the hybrid era, to get a decent result, now that Ferrari is constantly shooting themselves at the foot, it needs... Mercedes to, to drop the ball and they made a big mistake. They had compounded it with Hamilton getting blocking, which was stupid, and you know, breaking his wing. But he's managed to get all his all his cock ups into one race. There so, you go, know, hey ho! Um, and they're going to come back, and, and nobody thinks this is, this is going to change anything apart from the fact that once again Ferrari are sitting there licking their wounds. And Max Verstappen has driven absolutely superbly to take an to win when you can, and this is, this is what he's doing. He's, the race he's won are the races he could win. You know, I, I don't think he's missed a chance to win a race. Possibly one or two he may have had, he could have had better results. But he's won every single race he could win. Oh, good, he's
1: breathed. Ladies and gentlemen, Nick Damon, the man who holds the talking and holding his breath record. And that was absolutely outstanding. You couldn't tell Nick was on a one there, could you? We're going to take the soapbox from him immediately. Nick Damon, he's absolute best, ladies and gentlemen. Golf clap here. Fantastic.
3: Oh, I, I, I've um, got one more thing to say.
1: <laughs>
3: one more thing to say. In the past three races, the stewards have made four decisions. All of them correct.
1: Oh, you see, I disagree with that.
3: So they're correct. You're
2: wrong, that? John. They were correct know? about
3: both the Ricardo ones, and they were correct about the Verstappen one as well. In my opinion. So you, you don't we... think that you don't think they were correct about Verstappen.
1: One thing I did see of the Grand Prix at the weekend was a montage of all the overtakes at that corner that uh, Verstappen did. He was very strong there. On, on every corner apart from the one, every overtake apart from the one that he went for the lead, he ran his uh, right-hand side tyres up the kerb. On the one that he made the pass on, he was in the middle of the road. You could have got into the car pretty much next to him. I think I think it was a great overtake. Um, I think it was calculated. I think he'd learned from the time before when the Ferrari had... Uh, out dragged him out the corner on the exit I think it was absolutely calculated that he forced him off the track and I think it was a it was a deliberate decision um, and he never left any room on the outside and mm. certainly he would have been penalised, uh, all of the IMSA drivers that I've spoken to about it uh, have said they would have been penalised in IMSA um, and I thought it was deliberate, I thought it was absolutely, I thought it was brilliant, don't get me wrong he did, I thought he was brilliant.
3: Unwind the steering wheel like Nico Rosberg used to love doing. No, 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 no.
1: Absolutely, no. I agree with that. But I think on the way in, he made the conscious decision that he wasn't going anywhere near the inside apex, the right-hand apex. He came, uh, he came from, uh, uh, he, he basically narrowed the exit of the corner deliberately, and that was entirely in response to what had happened the previous time when he'd done it. When he would got position, and arguably he would got better position, um, the lap before two laps before when he got up the inside and then Leclerc out dragged him down the next bit of straight which was great driving by both of them that was great driving I think he made a conscious decision I thought it was very clever very calculated but absolutely deliberate now do I think he do I think in my heart of hearts that he should have been penalized for that no I don't but I think according to the rules he should have
3: Okay, I mean, I, I, I kind of saw, it. I mean, I think it was, yeah. It was, again, I wish he'd admitted
1: it was deliberate, though. I wish he'd well, admitted yeah. it was. Deliberate. I mean,
3: people were going, "Oh, you know, Vettel." The, Vettel the the instance is completely different. I mean, I mean, I, I think it was, it was, I in the world of nineteen seventies football, it was hard but fair. <laughs> it was Billy Bremner about thigh <laughs> level, but that was acceptable <laughs> in those days. Exactly, exactly. I mean, these days we you know it's very, very different. I mean, the red card, but you know, you um, know. Uh, but no, it was good. I, 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 it, was, it was a good race. It was a good race. Uh, and, I, and once again, Ferrari can't can't buy any luck, can they? I mean, no. I thought sorry for Seb Vettel. I think he put a good weekend in and was scuppered by his, you know, his, the qualifying. The, issue.
1: And, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you the reason, Nick, why I think he it was deliberate and he knew it was deliberate was the radio message when he came in and said immediately he turned in on me. Oh yeah, and he's and, and he's and he's um, and he's. Engineer said no. That was fine. That was there was absolutely wrong. Work. He said that straight away because he knew that he was pushing the boundaries. I think it was brilliant. I think it was Schumacher lev- levels of Machiavellian driving. It shows how much um, it shows how much mental capacity the statman has got left. Um, and I thought it was great. I thought it was a great scrap. I felt sorry for Leclerc a little bit, um, but I thought he drove well. I thought he defended pretty fairly, um, but. According to the rules it should have been he should have been penalized which which now I agree with everybody who says that 's ridiculous um, but I also agree with everybody that said, yeah, but if there'd been grass on the outside, he would have been penalized so I, I mean, it's yeah. ifs and, ands, but according to the regulations if the if, if according to the regulations he didn't leave didn 't leave roof for the car on the outside so but i do I absolutely believe it was deliberate, and I think it shows a very interesting um I think it shows a very, very interesting trait from Verstappen and a skill from Verstappen that shows you just how good he is. We've always thought he was good, always thought he was good. Uh, We've thought some of his petulance has been misplaced. Um, I thought he was scheming, he was clever. uh, His tactics behind the wheel of the car and his parallel processing, how anybody does the kind of calculations that those drivers do whilst they're driving is beyond me. but for me absolutely deliberate brilliant stuff and um presumably it'll be round 2 at silverstone except not 1 because they won't be together there
3: well i mean it, it's it, yeah i think there has been a, a genuine improvement by the uh, the red bull i mean i don't think yeah you know, app is looking brilliant because the car's very good, and, and obviously his teammates do awfully. So he's under no pressure at all from his teammate, no pressure of expectations. And of course, the thing that Red Bull were able to do, and and this is another thing that they were able to run the engine on the verge of blowing up, because they're not worried about them lasting eight races. They know with the new Honda process, they're going to be taking penalties later in the season. So when yeah, they get a chance, when they get a chance, they can grab it with both hands. They can go right maximum attack. We don't mind, you know, the fact that we're taking mark. I mean, it's, it's unlikely to, to go bang at this. Point, what they're doing, is they're taking mileage off at the back end, but they're not worried about that. So you know, whereas I think Ferrari is still playing the concept of just running the three engines in the season. Mercedes obviously are. Mercedes was so worried that they were, were effectively, I mean, they they were running at no power and no, you know, it, it's quite impressive how far they managed to finish up the grid. If you think about how they weren't trying, they were on their lowest power um, level and they were lifting and coasting, and they still managed to get third and fifth. So, blimey, heck, what the gap? What they were doing? They were trying. You know, this we have to think about. Um, so yeah, I mean, how it, important was that for Honda? Um, I think it was it was a, it was a good reward for them, and I think it was obviously something they were looking to be happening. Uh, everyone's always worried people are going to fall out or or pull out, but I don't think Honda would do that at the moment. There's no there's no financial pressure from anywhere to do that I mean, they they've committed into well no one's actually officially committed into 2021 but they are uh certainly within that mix i think it's it's good for them it's always good to be able to get a win it's always good to uh be able to stand the podium and and say yes we did it it's fantastic but they'll they'll know as much as anybody else will know that they've they've managed to put together a perfect storm for this victory and that's that's great for them
1: uh, we'll have more from Nick in just a moment. Tim wants to ask a question. You're listening to uh, Midweek Sports Series 14, Episode 25 on RS1, part of the Radio Show Limited network of
2: channels. Uh, not so much a question, more on to the next story, uh, because in contrast to Max Verstappen with his victory, although Pierre Gasly made up the same number of places in the race, he also got lapped.
3: Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's not quite so good, is it, really? Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, I think, you know, there, there are people they often like to kind of like dig at various drivers, or oh, you know, you're, you're he's in trouble, he's going to lose his drive, he's in crisis. Um, but this one kind of, I think, he is. I mean, I have no idea why why he's struggling so badly. Gasly has the you know, the, the background, the pedigree once he performed I mean, he looked pretty good. He didn't have a good year with uh Toro Rosso, but he's just been. Comp- completely fish out of water at Red Bull, and it's got worse and worse and worse. And and it doesn't help, obviously, ever being in any team with Helmut Marco with his helpful comments. Um, but yeah, and, and, and they're now saying he needs to do a reset, he's nowhere near Max, and, and you know, it's it's kind of the situation where you know, Danny Rick's having a rotten time at Renault as well. You kind of think that both parties are probably wishing it, they, they hadn't split it up last year.
2: Uh, and you mentioned Helmut Marco there. He's shown his... Uh... <laughs> Uh, harshness again this week by uh, just after a single free practice session of uh, Patricio Award, deciding to drop Dan Ticktum completely from the Red Bull program. Yes,
3: that's interesting, isn't it? Um, it's pretty. We, we, let's, let, there's two things we know about Dan Tictum, Yeah, Dan Tictum, very good racing driver. Dan Tictum questionable human being. That's what we know about Dan from his his life career. <sighs> should
1: never be Korea. let on social media. <laughs> Never be well, let on social. You know he's
3: got uh, he has a massive black spot against him, for, black mark against him for his uh, performance when he was much younger and did a ridiculous thing behind the safety car and got a year's ban. He then backed it up by being stupidly um, vociferous against Mick Schumacher when he was winning last year uh, and winning himself no fans. My guess is something has happened over in Japan. It was you don't get fired for just having one bad weekend in Super Formula.
2: He's had a lot of bad weekends, hasn't he?
3: Has he been three weekends, Tim? And he did all right the first one.
2: Yeah, but he had a lot of bad weekends last year as well. Christian Horner said, It's a scheme that's results-based. He's had a tough time in Japan. It wasn't working out. He was a member of the junior team. It was decided he wasn't the right guy moving forward as an option for either us or Toro Rosso. Therefore, the sums were called. He was given the shot. He was given the opportunity. They've got to grab it with both hands. He didn't.
3: No, and I think, and I am absolutely certain that is everything to do with his personality and nothing to do with his speed mm. because there are, there are things you need, yeah you if, well if,
1: replaced if, by an american as well of course if you well, uh, course, saw the graphics be. at the weekend <laughs> uh, which is obviously very important
2: he did, yeah. does live in america
3: but he's not American, of course. No, no. Um, I mean, Pritzker Ward, who's taken over, he had, a, uh, I think, the definition of a baptism, is a baptism of fire in F2, trying to work out what on earth to do with uh, the Pirelli tyres on a 50-degree 50, 50 track. And admittedly, uh, he was better in the second race when it was cooler in the morning. But you know, I think no one expected him to do anything much. It's a very, very specialised uh, element at the moment running in the, uh, the, the, the various Pirelli sports series. Uh and now he's gonna go and take over the Super Formula seat. Now, I don't know what he what his situation is with his super license points, but all this is excellent news for Danny Kivyat, isn't it? Gasly being rubbish, Tipton being fired. Um, you know, who else are they gonna put who else are gonna replace um at Red Bull with? So in a, in, a, in what is probably the world's biggest game of musical chairs, if Danny Kivyat ends up back at Red Bull after being sacked from Red Bull and sacked from, uh, from Toro Rossa, then back into Toro Rossa after a year, testing fries and back into Red Bull. It'd be like a, an amazing uh, a second coming, wouldn't it? Be, um, we've had Lazarus, and this would be um, the, 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 more of a Messiah story, wouldn't it?
1: Mm. Formula Messiah. Yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> liberty working on that, even as we're... partners oh, apparently <laughs> it's now going to be Formula Very Naughty Boy. <laughs> uh, is what they're working on. Really? really? Mm.
3: And every you single... Definitely nine...
2: put Dan Tinkton in that.
3: And every yeah. single 1970s driver. Yes, Uh, exactly.
2: did, uh did we talk about um, the... In, obviously, I've been missing for the last two episodes. Uh, have we talked about the fact that the Mexican Grand Prix is under threat?
3: Oh, we've talked about it lots of times. That's... that's... More specifically when, when Silverstone confirms it's got a new deal, which it, will, which it signed many weeks ago um, at, <laughs> so, at the British Grand Prix. Leave Bray, it, leave it. Um, then at that point, um, we'll realise we are going to lose a couple of races and, and the couple of the races at the moment that are favourite to go are Mexico and Catalonia.
2: Um, so is this the wrong time for Red Bull to be signing a Mexican?
3: I don't think Red Bull give a, a two hoots about the nationality of their drivers. They just want someone who's, who represents their brand in the way they wish to have it. And I, I would think probably having a Mexican, even though it's a Mexican Grand Prix, will will gi- give them a great result in Central and South America anyway. So you don't need the race to do that.
2: Uh, the other thing I was going to ask is, did we talk about the...
1: Uh... I'm shocked you've not listened to the previous two programmes, Tim. Well, I've got better heard. things to do.
2: Well, did I'm, I'm... we talk about the... Uh, Formula E calendar,
1: yes. Well, we we had um, we have talked about the clashes, but it appears that at least two and possibly all three of those clashes are now going to disappear.
3: Well, it was quite. Yes. That was a quite an interesting situation because I think at the burn e period was it was very much like the whoever was in charge of the calendar for FE was going no 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 we've said all up, there's nothing we can do we're not going to move WC can move da, 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 and kind of like look at me we're a Formula e. we're really important and I think someone took him outside and went um you do know you're not that important and you do know that the uh, WC calendar was out eight months ago don't you.
1: And
3: he's mm-hmm. gone, uh, okay, we'll, but, have, we'll, we'll move a couple of them then. I'm really
1: sorry. I, I, th- I think the other thing, um, in fairness, Nick, is two of the three that they're talking about are still TBA. So yeah. they've got a date sort of penciled. It's a bit like, okay, I'm not sure. I'll just check back and see if I've got an oboe lesson or, <laughs> a, uh, or, or a library book to take back that weekend. But if I haven't, and as so long as the cat doesn't have to go to the vet, then uh, then we'll have the apri. And and um f- put back in box, I think, is the and Jean Todd's got involved here. Um and I, we've often we've often criticized, I've often criticized, and we all have on this programme, Jean Todd for not being effective and actually doing nothing at all in terms of his presidency. Uh
2: other he than, does seem to well, like the WEC.
1: He well, he very Someone who has
2: no on, background in sports car racing.
1: Well, apart from being Peugeot's team manager at Le Mans. Well. <laughs> um, uh, uh, the the um, the, um, the yeah he's got involved, which I think was it had to be done. And it, I think which two is it, Tim? That they have already said will move, and the third one will probably move.
3: It's Saudi Arabia, well, and the one that clashes yeah. that's moving, and the one they say they can't move is the Seoul race, which is in the central. Yes, Seoul. I think I think Jean Top was embarrassed, to be honest. He was embarrassed yeah, right. because they he he, he had in, well, obviously he had invented literally Tim's most favourite thing ever, which is the calendar commission. Uh, and then no had, <laughs> and they had and they hadn't gone there. They ignored the calendar commission entirely. I think I think Jean-Torpe probably turned up with oh I had these marvelous new things for my for my my green series and my French sports car series, and we've made a fundamental cock up. And I think he probably then was lots, there was a lot of I think there were several meetings without coffee for people.
2: Mm. Uh, it's also important to uh, bear in mind that the South Korean meeting, which, as Nick says, is uh, in Seoul on the street circuit and which clashes with Spa in the WEC, is still subject to homologation. So uh, what's the yeah. chances that that circuit might not be homologated <laughs> for that particular week?
3: I mean, I think, I think it is completely unforgivable given the crossover of drivers with Formula E and WEC and that WEC had their calendar out eight months ago and they've only got, what, seven rounds in the season. It's just, I think it does show a unnecessary arrogance, which I think is flowing through Formula E at the moment, un- undeserved arrogance. Um, and they were sticking the knife in the week between um, Ricard and... Uh, um, the A1 ring, oh, the, A1, the Red Bull ring, uh, which have been, they've been quiet now in a good race and, they, and, they, and they're constantly trying to score points against other FIA series. And, and the fact is that, you know, because they think they're going to be swimming in cash next year with Porsche or Mercedes, I think they're going to find it's going to be a lot harder um, to actually get the money out. And given the fact they've never turned a profit, perhaps some humility might be an idea. It is. We did this the other week, and I can't remember which way. Is
1: it? Is it's not a world championship, is it? Formula E. It's only a, not at
2: the moment. It will I, be no. the year well, after. You've next. You've got very loud, Tim. Sorry, I've got a little bit closer. Uh, it's yeah, not you, at the moment, it will be the year after next. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, closer um, to my microphone, I might say, not closer to you. I'm the same distance well, I, from you. Well, well, if, if,
3: if you know, walk around, around the hotel room, you've never no idea.
1: If you've leaned forward a bit, it depends which way you're pointing at the moment. Um, I, I, think, I think Nick, I'm you're pointing to the east. Oh well, hmm, well, well. You know, ultimately, if you even if you've got to go all the way around, you've still probably got a tiny bit closer. Um, the I think Nick, you've, you've you've hit that one on the head. I think it's the. Um, The interesting thing is where they think their place is in the world. Remember when we had Sam Smith on for the big interview a couple of weeks or three weeks ago? If you didn't hear that, go back and listen to it. Because um, the the changes in the paddock, and I've had a chance since we spoke to Sam Smith doing that um, uh, on that show, to speak to a few people who are involved with Formula E. And it, uh, there's enough of them who are involved in other series as well, uh, in particularly series that we cover or races that we are at, uh, that I've had a decent opportunity to uh, to do more than just a straw poll. And there is a bit of face palming going on by people, some of whom are very important to that series. Partners um, who are extremely important to that series, for whom those comments from sam about the attitude of of what's going the job isn't done yet with formula A, e, is it nick and that's the point you're making they've done really well they have done really well the racing generally speaking has been pretty good they, they'll they want to keep it on the tight twisty circuit so that everybody stays together so that it looks fast for television again it's very cleverly done and There's undoubtedly a place for it. We've said that right from the very beginning. But there is that misplaced uh, arrogance that you said. Maybe it's not even arrogance. Maybe it's just it's the it's the open wheel formula thing that they think, well, we've got a full grid. We've done our job now. It's all sorted. And it's not all sorted. It's not all sorted by any stretch of the imagination because it is, in terms of a business model, living on borrowed time. And without the kind of input that it's getting from teams, manufacturers and commercial sponsors, then it's got no future. It has no future whatsoever. And at the moment, more than anything else, more than the drivers being frustrated, more than the almost pointless press release of the week kind of pronouncements that are coming out of there. It's that that will put it in jeopardy. And I just wonder if the shot across the bows by President Tot um, is just the first move in saying, look, we've got this now, it's high profile. The FIA cannot afford Formula E to disappear. It cannot afford it to go down the tubes now. So whatever else happens, if Formula E... Is a financial is any more of a financial disaster? And let's not forget that Liberty bailed that company out of the tune of 30 million dollars not so very long ago when they were within 10 days or so of going under, um, according to reports. Then um, the FIA would probably have to bail it out, Nick. And I'm, and I'm not sure that they want to do that, but they would, they would have no choice, would they?
3: Well, the FIA, it doesn't have an awful, Oddly, everyone thinks it's actually rolling in cash. It certainly has a few million. It doesn't have 30 million down its trousers to uh, to lend to a series. Um, 30 million per event, it could be,
1: looking at some uh, of the numbers that I've seen, that the, the, the um, uh, not the Toronto race, the Quebec race. Yeah. Um, no, Montreal, lost,
3: Montreal lost a fortune.
1: Mon- Mon- Montreal, yes, that's right. It, 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 it left the city... 'Cause all of the it's very cleverly done actually. The um, individual EPRI are all non profit making organizations for the most part, mostly non profit organisations that are that are run separately from, from Formula E. And they I think it was something like was it thirty nine, forty million US uh, Canadian no, I dollars? That bad. I, thought like, I thought it was
3: sorry, I I think it was nineteen million. All right. Well, I
1: it's
3: like, in, you you know. know what? What? I know, I know we're arguing. I know we're arguing against a massive amount or a really massive amount. But no, I, I think there is a, there is an issue, um, and I think that the yeah the, the racing is is fine. I mean, I think that the problem they've got is that they are with the newer cars, which which are quicker and bigger. They the tracks are too small. I'm not saying I'm not saying go to real race track. Absolutely fine, oh. carry on running in situ, but just try and make it a bit wider, a bit more so you get so you'll get less silly accidents. I know they want the odd accidents, but the silly accidents, like the one they had in Burn, which blocked the track. Uh, and they will have more chances of actual overtaking where where the cars and their um abilities actually do themselves to overtaking with the with the Super Mario Kart and everything else. Um but you know, I, 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 you wonder. You you look at it, and they had. They, I think they they had a reasonable crowd at Burn, but I don't think many of those paid for a ticket because they were kind of lining the streets. Um, wasn't so, the
1: original? Wasn't the original model that nobody would pay for tickets? It would always be free.
3: That was the idea, and I think they, they they've in, again in fairness to a lot of events that is the case. I mean, they have they always have hospitality. Obviously, they have yeah. There's a there's a paddock club equivalent, but it, it's a difficult it's a difficult. Um, financial model, none of the cars are really, you know, F1 can't get decent sponsors so and you know if you look at sports cars most of the sponsors are people who are affiliated with the gentleman driver which is fine but mm-hmm. obviously you don't have gentlemen. you're paying your drivers in, in Formula One because they are significantly as, as well a car, a division two drivers or championship drivers So you know you've got some of the guys who, who would easily replace the back end of the, the grid drivers in F1 and no one would notice the difference and you've got some guys who just missed their chance or, or whatever it may be so there's no issue with that but as you say John they are all paid money and it's interesting when we had the three clashes um they asked the drivers who were most affected by that especially especially said he would um he was fine with the shorter races they the toyota would do it with two drivers we have to be there for sebring sam bird said no no he'd be doing all the formula e's that's where his money comes from not from um uh from formula e and ferrari sorry and um well, um, Lopez, Jose Maria Lopez, said he'd be doing mm. WEC, which was absolutely did massive cheer from the rest of the Formula E panic, knowing that Jose Maria Lopez wouldn't be in the race. was unbelievable. So they're very really upset <laughs> that there isn't a clash anymore. It, 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 it's, it's reduced all their repair bills by 10% if he wasn't there. But, but um... also, it's
2: increased their tyre bills because there's less time under the safety car. So.
3: Very good point, yeah. he it swings around about for that. I, I'm, I'm not, I, I know this is unpopular. Does anybody, am I the only person who thinks he's crap? Um, I really I, don't rate him at all. I've, I've got a very
2: good locked and locked uh, Lopez and Briatore story, but I can't tell that on the radio. Well, I, just, uh, I,
3: just, and I watched him at the mall, and I still didn't think he was any good. And I, and I, well, and I don't know I why he gets his brakes. And I know he had money, but then he did win the world touring car, which was you know, let's three be honest, times. let's be honest. Three about, times. People, Other people have won world touring car I mean, Priya was pretty good, but you know, you know Rob Halfswell. I love Rob, but he's not, you know, he's not he's not at the same, is he? Um, Nick. Nick.
1: Nick, he won world touring cars in the same equipment as Ivan Muller. And he beat Ivan Muller. Yeah, right. yeah. um, however, however, uh, me being a little more diplomatic than you, there's a shocker. Um, the responsible adult has just <laughs> oh, gosh, I'm in trouble. Sw- swooned, <laughs> swooned there. Um, I have said on numerous occasions, including on our travel destinations at Countdown to Le Mans preview programmes, That I think he's very lucky to still have a job at Toyota, particularly when the person that he effectively kept out the seat was Ant Davidson. And there was other people, there were other people in the wings. I will also say, as I said in Michelin post-race tech after Le Mans this year, the last couple of stints that he put in in that car is the best I've ever seen him driving that car.
3: After he threw it off twice.
1: Well, in, indeed, and you and you know, you know did make that point as well, that you thought I was being a bit harsh to him and then the words were barely out of my mouth and he'd thrown it off twice. Because um, I think I'd said something it like... It oh, wasn't me
3: thought he was harsh, it must be must been your co-commentator, but it wasn't me. Oh, really? <laughs> I don't um, know, I, I'm happy to take anything when people say he's not very good because I don't think he's very good. So, well, I said something he's lovely, like... Lovely man, love his family, I'm sure, but yeah, racing driver, meh. Nah.
1: I think I said something like... Lopez is in the car, you might want to take a step back from the guardrails if you're watching at the track. And um, somebody thought that was um, a bit harsh. And then, oh, I was Johnny, it was Palmer. Um, and um, and then he was, uh, no, you, you're absolutely right. I think he has a level to which he can drive, and he can drive very well, and he can compete. And maybe um, WTCR is that level. And I'll go back and say again, he beat Ivan Muller in the same Equipment, and he didn't just win the championship once.
3: It wasn't, it wasn't spring chicken, Evan Muller, was it? it was no, this was quite the,
2: of Well into his forties, Evan Muller, yes.
1: But yeah, and and I, and I accept that they did have. It was the world Sit, world touring Citroen Championship <laughs> in the year that, that he won it because the the championship was designed around that Citroen that they built and sold in um in China. um uh, which Muller had, had helped uh, develop, don't forget. But but I don't think he's shown. Um I think he's got pace, but I don't think he's got... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Consistency. I
0: think,
3: Yeah, um, I mean, he's a 22-minute driver, not a two-hour driver. Though, oddly, he can't even do two laps in Formula E. I, think he, I don't think he makes good decisions. Genuinely don't think he makes good racing decisions. Yeah, and a little bit of wheel wheel isn't an issue in touring cars. And going for the Overtake at the wrong time is an issue, WC. And trying to get up the inside of someone in Formula E with barriers all around you in the first lap is an issue in Formula E. I you
1: think got look, these, look at his background. You know, where's, where did he come from? Did he start in karting?
2: I don't I, think he did. Yes.
3: i, don't, I he did. Know. He got
2: all the way up to GP2 in single-seaters. Did he really? Yeah.
3: I don't forget, he was the declared first driver for, for uh, F1, USA F1. Oh, yes, of course. Has he still got the toasters? Well, I think, unfortunately, that, that some of those may have had to be paid to Toyota uh, for repair. Uh-huh. But I think about it, you say that, I assume that uh, going back to what uh, I think you or Tim said about Patricio Award, obviously, it must be good news for the Latin American sales of Toyota to have him in the car. Because they are, it's another country which is very much behind its sports stars in, in, uh, in Argentina. So, you know, they, they, there was a, I'm sure that there's plenty of, of, of activation mm-hmm. on we
0: well, that's fine, actually
1: right. something I had never even thought of. So that—that's well, you know what? I'm gonna, I will, I will diplomatically and discreetly um, ask that question. That's reasonable. Well,
3: you, if you think about, it, you're comparing the activation of Brackley against the activation of Argentina mm. uh, when you all of it. And, it, all of it. And, and the whole of Argentina. Yeah. So I, I my guess is, I, I mean, I, you know, I'm sure it's not the way it's decided, but I, I sit there and you look at the guys and you look at some of the guys who are in the the P1 privateer cars, and you're going, why is he in that car?
1: Well, and, and let's not forget with Anthony, he's still, he's still under contract to Toyota. So presumably he's still getting paid, which is why he can't take a P1 drive, as we found out at Le Mans. He can't even take a P1 privateer drive, because that's seen as competition for Toyota. So, I mean, financially, he's probably still okay, but in terms of his mm-hmm. racing profile, Ant will be somewhat frustrated. Uh, we'll move on in 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 just a moment. You're listening to Midweek Motorsport. It's uh, episode 25 of series 14. Uh, Nick, Tim, and me, John Hindorf. We are spread to the three wins, if not the four wins, uh, this evening. And in a moment, the next voice you'll hear will be uh, Tim Greer, who will tell us where we're going next.
2: I'm not entirely sure how we've spent so much time talking about uh, Jose Maria Lopez given that that was never on the uh, <laughs> never on the script for tonight. Uh let's get back to Formula One.
3: Hooray and, again.
2: And uh McLaren had another great weekend, Nick.
3: They did, they, they they yeah, I suppose hidden in the fact that um Honda had won and everyone went, no oh God should never have dropped should never have dropped uh Uh, then you should have stuck with them rather than getting Renault. Um, The resurgence that uh, McLaren have have managed to achieve over the last couple of years by basically firing everybody and employing new people, even though they're only Ramping up now, Andrew Seidel and James Key. Um, you know, Zach Brown appears to have actually done a reasonably good management job, though the car is still relatively bereft of sponsors, but Let's not go there. Uh, they've got two drivers who are obviously getting on well and enjoying the process of putting the team forward. And they've done some, you know, they have been best the rest. But you've still got this massive issue that, you know, obviously it's the top five, then Pierre Gasly, then the rest. But there's, you know, between fifth place and uh, even uh, the, even with the massive, massive problems that that uh, Hamilton had, I think there's was still 50 seconds between him and the, um, and the and the next car along. It's it's, 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 it's this huge gap and this hole between third and, and fourth best team. Um, yeah, minus best- Gasly. Yes, obviously, uh, and, they're the best, and they are the best Renault engine site, and they are moving in the right direction, and they appear to know what they're doing, which is absolutely key. Um, so perhaps some of the good old-fashioned McLaren um, engineering skill and perfectionism is now f- filtering through the muddled and confused management they've had there for perhaps seven of the last eight years, and with a clear head, they can now start moving forward very rapidly.
2: Who does Andreas Seidel credit for uh, being the team forward? Him. Himself. Is it, is it No, him? not himself. Zach Brown? No.
3: Oh is it Carlos Sainz? No. Oh, well isn't
2: there's, there's two names he mentioned. James Ron Dennis. Um Fernando Alonso and Stoffel Van Dorn.
3: Oh hmm. why? That's well Stoffel, I'm not sure why Stoffel gets a gig. i mean, I like the boy, but he has not do much apart from, from look slow. But admittedly not as slow as Pierre Gasly in
2: this. <laughs> It says uh, it was uh, their, um, complaints is the wrong word, but their feedback last season that uh, inspired the team to uh, start making the changes that they needed to do.
3: So what you're saying is to make a team build a better car, you just described the previous car as various shades of awful. Uh, This means, I predict, the next years world champion will be... Team, awful Williams. Awful Williams. Everyone's saying how rubbish that car is, so they're going to go really quickly now because the drivers are saying it, the engineers are saying it, the press are saying it, we're saying it. Everyone in the world knows how awful their car is, and that's the only, And that's the way you improve. They are world champions. Heard it here first,
2: well, folks? We we're going to talk about that a bit in a minute. Yeah, but, I was uh, going to say, yes. After something else, but um, they... They obviously had a great weekend. I didn't see all of the Austrian Grand Prix, I have to admit that. Um, But um, Williams must have done really well because uh, Robert Kubica was voted driver of the day.
3: That was brilliant. Last lap, four times, some sort of, um, and, and with and with Verstappen winning. So normally the social media presence is that is the whole of the Netherlands can vote him as driver of the day when he's just trundled around in fifth and done nothing. This time, when he had his best race ever, he was he was he was actually beaten by the guy who came last. With I assuming. Either a tongue-in-cheek or a deliberate, don't-forget-Robert effort from somewhere around Europe, probably uh, towards the Polish region, uh, he got the vote. And that is the wonderful thing about, uh, you know, phoning votes. They can get manipulated every now and again, and you get an amusing or strange outlying result. Um, Uh,
2: The FIA has uh, announced it's going to investigate the uh, voting process.
3: Well, just if you say, you know, you can vote for who you like, um, and there's no criteria based on it, and enough people want to vote for some. Yeah, if you look at, um, going back to formulae, if you look at fan booths, fan booths, we should never be, and then, I'm sorry. To go off piece. If they become a world championship, they have to lose Fan Boost. You can't have that in a world championship. Never mind. Carry on. It's always the same five drivers you get. It's always um, Daniel Lap. It's always um, Stokker Van Dorn. It's always Sebastian. But it's, it's the same people every single time. So basically, you so say you five drivers, you get a free pass. Literally a free pass if the track's wide enough. Um, yeah, phone votes, not a good idea. Um, you yeah, the only, know, the only time when a phone vote is of any use to anybody is confirming our prejudices about your Eurovision Song Contest.
1: Bot Farms is all I'm saying. Bot Farms.
2: I knew, I knew that there was uh, going to be a mention of Eurovision there somewhere. Uh, <laughs> Max Verstappen's won dry uh, the day, twice Charles Leclerc, twice Valtry Bottas, Alexander Albon, Sebastian Vettel, Lano, Lando Norris once each.
3: And who's leading the World Championship by 30 points?
2: Uh, well, Lewis, Lewis Hamilton, he's clearly not popular in a lot of markets where they have a lot of phones.
3: Yes,
1: I wonder why that might is be. Is it a phone vote or is it uh, on the web?
2: It's Twitter, isn't it? How uh, oh, is it?
1: Well, it's bots yeah. then. It's bots, yeah. simple as that. And and let's not forget well, what the. the, point, the... Yeah, um, well, it's but it's just something else for. Um, it's something else for broadcasters who don't have rights for Formula One to talk about, like the DHL pit stop uh, <laughs> championship, <challenge. laughs> uh, yeah. which. You know, which apparently is being led by Williams at the moment.
3: No, the thing is, is, it, is, what you're basically saying is, it gives that bloke who's actually supposed to be Australian, but it sounds like he's never heard of English as a first language on that. Uh, leave it, just
1: walk away. Walk away. Walk
3: away. on's review, and he goes, And yes, as now winning driver of the day was Robert Kobica. What kind la- of Australian?
1: La- leave it, just leave yeah. it. Um, the yes uh, uh, the, it's just a, another excuse for talking about it, uh, which we have so they've they've, uh, what? they've what? so we've done it, so Let, let's,
2: it. We, we didn't mention the sponsor though did we no, no. no. moving on uh, let's move on then to uh the story I was going to do next uh, because Nick mentioned uh, that McLaren had the best Renault engine and uh Renault... and the
1: best result of Renault runners.
2: Renault have the same Renault engine and uh, are not doing so well. Uh, and Daniel Ricciardo seems to think there's something fundamentally wrong with the car.
3: It's not very good. It's very inconsistent. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, there's a few teams that have, I mean, half are having a bigger problem than they are, but Renault certainly are not enjoying it. And um, they keep making big, bold statements which doesn't help them. That's actually a trick which uh, McLaren fell into a couple of years ago. So mm. they should have learned from that, but you know Cyril um, Abitibul just keeps looking more and more kind of like he's been involved in a fight in Marseille. Um, but
2: you know, what did uh, Nico Hulkenberg say? Uh,
3: probably uh, just when I thought my career couldn't get any worse. Is um, uh,
2: We've really tried absolutely everything to make the car go faster and to help the balance. We've not really managed to fix it. Still,
3: brilliant. That is that is a effectively a white flag for the setup.
2: Uh, Daniel Ricardo said we made quite a few changes, and then we found out that we still had uh, a few setup issues. So uh, we made those changes as well. We've been really struggling. There's something more fundamental with the car that we haven't got quite, quite got on top of yet, uh, because we've changed a lot and always ended up with the same outcome.
3: You see, uh, this, this is a very interesting point. Now, testing was banned because they thought it favoured people with the most money. But let's be really honest about this. Do we think that three days of testing between now and Silverstone would be more of a benefit for Mercedes or more of a benefit for Renault?
2: No, I agree. it this... would be a benefit of for Red Bull and Ferrari, surely. Yeah, Renault, but, three days, nothing he's... for Renault because they don't understand their car. Well, they got more Mercedes... the the
3: Three days, haven't they? They got more chance they can run the car, <laughs> or something. Then, than... what than was cars? that? I think it sounds like it sounds like a waiter has dropped a comedy tray.
2: Uh, <laughs> it is a comedy tray, it. in fact. Yes.
3: Um, I I just genuinely think that the lack of testing. I I think twenty-one races and no testing is a ridiculous way to run the premier championship of of, of, of motorsport. Everyone said and right, eighteen let's, races let's move and on. be Sorry, Sorry. Sorry. Right,
2: Let's
1: move on, Nick's, I thought we'd take Nick's soapbox away from him. Can we take Apologies. it back? Sorry. Can we move on to Team Awful Williams now? And we've, some, we've done that. Some You haven't done the staff news?
2: Oh, I thought you'd covered that in a previous show. That was weeks ago. He
3: hadn't officially left then. He hadn't officially left then. (laughs) Is it hard to pick up as well?
1: It's a greasy comedy (laughs) strip. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Are you There's on a woman it attacking way? it with high pressure so like a high-pressure hose, like a cartridge pressure water.:
3: this
1: one and Mr. Beam. This one is wet, this one is wet. This uh, so, one is wet. So can we so can we <laughs> can we cover Can we cover the staff news quickly then?:
2: Yeah, on well, very quickly.
1: team all. No, 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 I'll let you do it well. I'll let Nick do it. Nick do it. How's those been fired. Oh, he's, t- uh, he's chosen to leave the team, apparently, is how it was phrased.
3: Fired, fired. Well, he's basically, I'd actually he's,
2: forgotten he was still there.
3: He's mm. been, after guarding leave, he's been blamed with the woes of the car. And obviously, whilst he had a part in the woes of the car, the main woes of the car are down to the fact that the senior management are not fit for purpose. But I've said that before as well. So I'll get off that soapbox.
1: Yeah, but they will be world champions if, they, if everybody complains enough.
3: That is true. So this is, the turnaround is about to start. Yeah. And
1: then it will all be put at Paddy's So, Right, we're getting close to the end of the first hour. I time to fit anything else in before Still to Come, uh, Tim?
2: No, that's going to Still to Come because we've got two big things to come in the next hour.
0: Midweek Motorsport. Half time. And while we swap ends, here's what's coming up. Still to come on this week's
1: Midweek Motorsport. Uh, we are hoping to get John Degeese, the founder and editor of Sportscar365, to talk about a quite extraordinary week in sports car racing and looking back at Watkins Glen International and uh, an historic win for one particular team. Not a good weekend for others. Uh, we'll also be chatting to him about the future of the sport because he's had some very interesting uh, articles on Sportscar 365 that are worth having a look at. Uh, We'll uh, have a little bit more chat with Tim and I have no idea what's going on uh, with the venue that Tim is uh, at the moment but there's plenty more still to come. Nick Damon will be joining us again in the second hour as well as
0: we continue Midweek Motorsport. Midweek Motorsport on RadioLamont.com.
1: Right, Tim, where would you like to take us next?
2: Uh, I'd like to go to Rome. I'd like to go to Rome.
3: Can I go to Rome? You can always have Rome. Uh,
2: But specifically, I want to go uh, at the start of November. Less clean now. Chilly. Yeah.
1: Well, you don't want to be in Rome in the summer, particularly not with the way the temperatures are right now, do you? Why do we want to go in November?
2: (laughs) Uh, Because that's when the inaugural edition of the FIA Motorsport Games is going to be taking place. Oh, Eddie Waring.
3: Bit of that? We have uh, Stuart Hall. we have people dressed in penguin suits or perhaps, uh, car suits? I don't
1: know. So this is a Jeuze en Frontier for motorsport. So will we have somebody giggling and saying, "Here come the Belgians"?
2: Uh, they <laughs> will be. They will that? be country-based teams. So yes. Oh dear. So this I, is. I would imagine. Here come the Belgians is definitely going to occur. Excellent. We'll need to get that clipped. For that, what?
3: Hang on, um, though, but, well, but no, but but, but I, I don't know. They're in Rome. What? Tra- yes. They it It's a street race in Rome. Is it like,
1: mate? Coliseum. Oh wow! Colosseum. Colosseum. Get the, get the swords on the wheels, mate.
2: <laughs> there will be it's six,
1: SRO. So it six could be anything, mm-hmm. right?
2: Uh, and it's SRO, as John says. So uh, the first of those six disciplines is GT racing.
3: What for three hours, pointlessly with a rich bloke?
2: No. Uh, It'll be (laughs) to remember? They've already, don't
1: forget, SRO have already done a sort of um, GT nations thing, haven't they? It was in the Middle East. It's been in the Middle East the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. So they've got a bit of, uh, they've been awarded the contract to run uh, this uh, by the FIA. Um, Stefan Rattel, who's the SR of SRO, um the O is for organization before anybody says anything else. And the um they have been running the FIA GT World Cup and and things like that. They did the Macau, they did the Macau race, don't they? So they've got they've got form for for running this stuff. Um so presumably there they'll be uh, 142 five minute races or something like that, are the team? How's it work?
2: Well, GT races. Uh, there's going to be two in cars. So that's uh, the second category, right? right. Uh, Where Formula oh, Four? Keep going. Keep going with the categories first. Uh, that's drifting, three. right? Uh, a karting slalom, and right. finally digital motorsport. What? No RT. Oh. No, disgraceful. So no electric they,
3: racing they, at all, then. So they're going to have, you know, have the online stuff, but they won't do anything blooming, with, with, which actually, you know, which is the most inclusive for <laughs> motorsport in the world. Well, <laughs> but where are they going to do it? Is it Valonga? longer?
2: Uh, it doesn't say, um, but it does say that the FIA approved the uh, sporting regulations at their recent meeting of the FIA World Motorsport Council in France. But
0: this is a
3: situation where the same drivers are going to be in each car? Because that would be quite amusing. Or is it going to be... I'd, I'd hope not. I'd, more I'd, I'd hope that each country
2: would on. nominate different different drivers for different disciplines.
3: I don't know. There's ahead, no rallying
2: in here either.
3: I, mean, uh, I can, can I be honest with you? This, this is interesting to me from, from, from an amusing... From an amusing title concept that could have involved all sorts of skullduggery and dick darsely. Mm-hmm. This now just sounds like a boring a boring week of nothing. Pointlessly. Also, is in- in probably relatively cool conditions and quite bad weather.
2: There is a potential for bad weather in Rome in uh, November. Yes. Uh, drivers will compete for gold, silver, and bronze medals. Really?
3: Um, Hang on, no, hold, 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 hold on. Oh, they get a gold, silver, and bronze in each event. Oh, I see, and then they get an yes. overall points, event. and
2: then there's an overall medal table.
3: Right, and who's taking part? I take it, this is it's not like the the MSA is going to put forward all the cash for this. These are going to be people who are going to pay to be there, aren't they? They're going to pay to play.
2: Almost certainly, yes, or have national sponsors maybe, but someone's making some money out of this, aren't they? Yes. Well, are they? I mean, are they, really? It's it's
1: not always about money, is it?
3: I don't think Stefan does much for charity, mate.
1: I
2: think he does, actually.
3: No, I oh, think okay. he probably does, actually. No, I mean, probably, all right, does. For, for, for
2: personally, may well I'm talking about... Uh, SRO donates a huge amount of money to charity for you and is very vociferous uh, in press releases about it.
3: Ah, yes. that sort of charity so, giving I don't
2: like. So, so uh, w-
1: which countries have been invited, Tim? Sorry, I was... Um, um, that's not been mentioned yet. Okay, I, I I didn't hear you say that, so I wondered if okay. I drifted off in the middle of it, frankly.
2: <laughs> uh, I'll put a lot of money on Belgium being there. You're, you're very uh,
3: fond of the Belgians, aren't you? Did,
2: you? did you get any closer to
1: finding out which circuits they're going to be at or circuit?
2: No. Right, okay.
3: I, I'm going to keep saying till it comes true.
2: Yeah, I mean, the GTs have got, and the Formula Fours have both got to be at Valer Lunga, surely. Right. Is that really Rome, though? Yeah. Well, I
1: mean, London, is then. that Rome in a kind of a Ryanair <laughs> oh, London yeah. Stansted where...
2: No, it's Rome in the sense of um... Nick. When you did uh, the German Grand Prix, when you worked for Formula One, oh. uh, you you went to Frankfurt, hahn didn't you? Yes,
3: which is yeah. <laughs> Which is nowhere near Frankfurt. It's nowhere near anywhere. Honestly, it's near some uh, some rising uh, vineyard. And that's
2: about it. Um, but yeah, Baden is not that far from Rome, really.
1: Still on with the tree cleaning. I hear right. Let's move. Let Let's move on.
2: Uh, we've got to play this jingle next. Uh, because this is uh, one of the funniest stories of the uh, week, don't you think?
1: Well, well, hang on. I think one of the funniest things is that every time you talk... Notice when I'm talking, there's very little noise coming from behind you, but the moment that you try to say something...
2: Yes. It's like they're all rattling (laughs) now. Metal flags. Um... I don't know if you can hear Bon Jovi coming from the other side as well or not. I,
1: I, I hope not, because we're not licensed to clear that here. That'll get us shut down.
2: Uh, this is, I, of course... I really
3: hope they're halfway there, because it's getting on my nerves.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, Trey Woman has now gone. I, I see if she might be back. Trey Woman? <laughs> Trey Woman. <laughs>
3: Isn't that one of your relatives?
2: <laughs> uh, uh, right, sorry. So what's the story? Uh, this is Rich Energy. Ah yes, and they and they court case of music it was crown court, as uh, I am sure all here will know. Yes, of um, uh, Rich Energy was taken to court by the British bicycle company White Bikes for copyright infringement involving the stag logo, which appeared as almost an exact copy of the cycling company's stag logo. Uh, a ruling by the Intellectual Property Enterprise Court, which declared Rich Energy's stag logo as invalid, uh, forbids the company from using its logo after July the seventeenth <laughs>
1: Which is interesting because only a that's, couple of days ago—that's
2: only two weeks away,
1: right? Only a couple of days ago, they released mm-hmm. um, the energy company, the drinks alleged drinks company um, concerned, uh, released a, a photograph of a motorcycle in its full livery, still including the horns. By the way, that they keep calling it. Apparently, that particular drink gives you horns. Um, please, their antlers—if they're, antlers, they're anything—and um, they do belong to white bikes. That um, is going to compete at the TT in 2020, apparently. Delightful. Mm. We we covered this a few weeks ago, and um, there's uh, what was it? He said there was 90 million. I've had 90 million cans made, and he yeah. said how many have they been filled? And he went, oh, I don't know." <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, not only do rich energy. Uh... Are not only are rich energy, uh, terrible at making energy drinks, uh, ten- terrible at marketing and terrible at logo design, uh, they're not particularly good when it comes to hiring lawyers either, because the white bikes uh, judgment goes a lot further than telling them to stop using their logo in three weeks' time.
1: Well, they yeah. owe them quite a lot of money, don't they?
2: Um Within 14 days, Rich Energy has to pay the costs, which is £35,416. Mm. Uh, Rich Energy uh, applied for permission to appeal, and that request for permission has been refused. Um, they can go to the Court of Appeal uh, and apply to the Court of Appeal for permission to appeal. Uh, they've got to do that before the original judgment comes into effect on July the 18th. Uh, mm-hmm. But White's, White Bikes' lawyers have been very, very clever um, because they have, uh, Rich Energy has to deliver to White Bikes all of its infringing products by the 1st of August. So all of those 90 million cans <laughs> have, to be, have to be delivered to White Bikes by the 1st of August. Or alternatively, Rich Energy can render them non infringing and so, not entirely sure
3: employ a selection of students over the course <laughs> of summer to put duct tape over all the logos <laughs> i oh, heard the like rumor. T- have you have you heard the rumor i heard which that is people what people have actually had some rich energy out the can say it tastes very very similar to red bull not not in a way that not in a copyright infringing way of red bull or a former. in that they think they filled it with red bull really yeah but there's more there's more. Uh, yeah, no, hang on. Before, we move on,
1: before we move on, before we move on, I really hope they deliver the 90 million cans and that white bikes can recycle them and make bike frames. Absolutely. That would be the,
2: fantastic. This is 90 million aluminium cans. Of course, they're going to recycle them and turn them into bikes. How much space does
3: 90 million cans take up?
1: Wheels. It takes up wheels, mate.
2: Uh, Rich Energy must disclose the total UK and global sales of its product. Zero to four. And the total sums received from those sales.
3: £3.70 for Mr Patel's off-license in uh, Chipping Sodbury.
2: This will obviously uh, give us an exact number of uh, uh, Rich Energy sales, um, which will either... Validate uh, the claims that uh, they've made that their sales are skyrocketing, uh, or completely uh, agree with everyone who says that no, no. one buys with energy.
3: The thing so, about so this what... is, they sold none in January, one in February, three in March, and seven in June. That is skyrocketing in sales. That's seven hundred percent in six out in six months. That's, that's a fair yes. point. Total uh, of thirteen just... sales.
1: Now, I do not want. <laughs> I do not want you to comment on what I'm about to say, Nick, and you'll understand why. And you sound like you've moved away from your mic a bit, so you've got further away from me, I think. Um, um, What it will show is, um, or the question that will then have to be asked is, where has the money come from for all of the sponsorships?
2: Well, that's a big question, John. And luckily, White Bikes' lawyers have insisted that that question is answered too as part of this judgment. (laughs)
1: I think they listened uh, to, our show. sure. I really do. <laughs>
2: Which energy must divulge the following? Any sums of money invested by third parties in any other company or entity controlled by the second defendant in connection with and or pursuant to the first defendant's sponsorship of the Haas F1 team and full details of any sums of money paid or payable to the Haas F1 team pursuant to the first defendant's sponsorship of the Haas F1 team, indicating in each case whether such sums were paid or payable by the first defendant or by any other entity. Now so, we know
1: what you've been doing while you've been lying by the pool wherever you are
2: yes. at the
1: You've been reading court papers, haven't you?
2: So, white bikes are going to find out how much it costs to sponsor a Formula 1 team, and where the money came from
1: well white bikes white bikes are a partner of mercedes-benz um formula one um because they put out a nice piece of um you know uh we're in formula one too but we know what it's like to win sort of type thing which i thought was quite funny um well we wait with bated breath for that nick don't we
3: now well, now looking, i'll let you yeah no, 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 I don't know. I think it's probably very good for my legal position. I didn't say anything at all there. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's, all, it's, all very well, it's all very well having a, having a go at 90s uh, pasta manufacturers. This one's a bit too recent, so uh, I'll just uh, keep my counsel.
2: Yes, uh, indeed. The very funniest thing is uh, someone has sent me a photo from when the um, Rich Energy sponsorship was announced for the Haas F1 team, and it shows um, the two drivers, Grosjean and Magnussen, Uh, and William Storey, the chief executive of Rich Energy, Um, and uh, Gunter Steiner. And Gunter Steiner is standing in such a way that the antlers from the logo are sticking out of the top of his head. (laughs) (laughs) And you know that
1: Grosjean rides a white bike, don't you? Does he? Yeah, because there's pictures of him and
3: the rich energy yeah guy. That, that was in his lotus days, i think he was running riding the last pictures i've seen from i mean obviously it's, it's it's the whole argument about the white bike's not being existing or very popular is is, is fatuous at best but uh, yeah um <laughs> oh dear Excellent, so Always I think we need to peak. follow that.
1: That's, that's great. you listen to Midweek Motorsport. Uh, it's Series 14, Episode 25, spread to the world we are this this weekend. Coming up later on this week, uh, we, in fact, starting on Thursday, we <clears> have <throat> the Mobile One Sports Car Grand Prix presented by Acura at Canadian Time Motorsport Park. Share Jeremy and myself will be there for that. I think Brian Till's up as well because I think we've got Prototype Challenge. We have got Prototype Challenge. So Brian will be up for that uh, as well. That's over on RS. Two And of course we also have the 24 Hours of Portimao this weekend yes. uh, The uh, the next round of the FIA International Endurance Series The Hancock 24 Hours of Portimao Johnny Palmer leading the team uh, down there Which will also include Di Binks and Paul Truswell um,
2: Can we talk on? about um, some sports cars now? Yes we can uh because uh, audi have uh, said why they aren't going to build a hypercar well well you see
1: now i have a problem with what you've just said there straight away go on how do you have said why the proposed lmp1 2020 regulations don't actually make any sense to them as a manufacturer that's what they've actually said because we don't know what it's going to be called. It is just the replacement for the LMP1 2020. People keep calling this hypercar and I, 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 that, that is a name that's just... Hypercar. Hypermarsh. Um, sure. Sponsored by Carrefour. Um, or Ocean um, I, 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 This all comes down to, I don't know if you've seen this, Nick, but it, it surprises me not at all, because if you cast your mind back to Petit Le Mans, <sighs> Last year, it must have been. Um, so, October last year, we had Chris Renke, uh, the, the man who's at the head of Audi Sport mm. Customer Racing. Remember that the original regulation draft uh, proposals were presented at Le Mans 2017. And so we had Chris in, and he said on the air, then, it, that those regulations don't make any sense for Audi because they don't have... A car in the range now or in the foreseeable future that they could make marketing capital out of by putting it in there, and that go back and listen to it, um, and that uh, therefore they would find it difficult to justify because the likelihood of the lack of technology in the car would make it unattractive or less attractive to Audi, and and basically what this says. Not even reading between the the lines Tim, as far as I can see, is that that position hasn't changed, and that for Audi there there's no technical dividend or marketing dividend for the new regulations. Right. Is that a reasonable summation?
2: Probably uh,
3: <laughs> I agree let's right.
2: let's move on. I don't think okay. we can get any. Uh, disagreement to be honest um, and... I
1: know, Can I say one thing? I want to I be uh, I don't want people to think that we're, we here or me as an individual have been negative about these regulations, far from it I've always said when those regs first came out a year and a bit ago that they were a framework the problem is that the framework has not had any detail put on it and even recently speaking to manufacturers who are going to be involved in it, there's still a frightening lack of clarity and detail coming from the technical side of the people writing those regulations um, to the point where things like um, overhangs, floors, uh, dimensions aren't yet set in stone. Now, this, I, I understand from the other side, from the the SEO technical department uh, under Vincent Bourmonil, um, uh, who mm. they want to leave it as open as they can to try and bring as many people in, hence the Volt Fass on um, mandatory hybrid systems that will bring um, Aston Martin in with the Valkyrie. But at some stage, you've got to draw a line in the sand. Uh, there are other manufacturers who are very, very interested uh, and in point of fact uh, more than rumours, people who have now been talking Quite openly about um, putting a proposal together. Now, whether those proposals are strong enough given the current climate to get major manufacturers to invest in them. So, motorsport departments of, of, of manufacturers of OEMs, original, original equipment manufacturers, brands, automotive brands, uh, proposals ha- have been written by their motorsport departments as to where they think they should go with this and everyone bar Aston Martin um I'll leave Glickenhaus in fact not actually uh, including Glickenhaus because even the guys at Glickenhaus now have said this everyone have said given that you can build a specific racing car and a specific racing engine you'd be silly not to do that so trying to turn even a very highly developed hypercar into a race car even with the lack of understanding of what the final regulations will be you might as well build a risk uh, might as well build a proper race car and and glickenhouse jim glickenhouse has said that it's actually cheaper to build a bespoke racing car than to try and build a road car it will have a lot of the same bits it will have a lot of the same styling cues as the Glicken House, but effectively underneath it will be a prototype. So build a prototype, if necessary, get somebody to build you an engine or build yourself an engine and go racing. Uh, so trying to build it out of a, an existing road car, you're already facing compromises, even a, a high level one. But even at that point, you've still got to get people to commit to a lot of investment, a lot of investment. Um, significantly, maybe 10 times as much as it costs to run a DPI. Wayne Taylor uh, recently quoted on Sports Car 365, John De Geese's website, as saying it was costing them $5.6 million to run a single car. Um, that didn't include the development costs of that car, obviously. And you are talking about a minimum of $50 million, uh, and possibly more than that to run a couple of cars, albeit, in the FIAWEC and and at Le Mans. That, that is the bare minimum of, of budget that the people that I've been talking to are committing to or trying to get their boards to commit to. So it's it's still a difficult time. We've got Toyota who want to do it. We've got Aston Martin who are probably the furthest along because they have actually got a concept. That's the advantage that they've got. Um. There are other manufacturers in the wings, Clickenhouse included, Corniseg still um, making the right noises. Um, And there are at least another couple, some of which we've mentioned in the past, some of which we haven't, but until they decide what they're doing, that's their stories and not ours to break. So um, I I really don't care as long as we get good racing. Um, I think the opportunity for... I said right at the start, and I'll say this again, and this is why I'm excited about these regulations. I'm not sure that this is what the ACO want, and I'm sure it's not what the OEMs want. But, for example, if um, Red Bull wanted to go and win Le Mans and win a world championship with a car with their name on it, or anybody wanted to do that, these regulations give you the opportunity because you don't have to be a manufacturer. You do not have to build a certain amount of cars. It does not have to be built on a street car chassis. So if um, Rich Energy had the money and wanted to go and do it, there's nothing to stop them commissioning someone else to build a car, build an engine, put it in, and win Le Mans, building a pure prototype. Now, whether Toyota and Aston Martin and any of the other OEMs would think that that was good for them um, is debatable. But I think it's fantastic that you probably got somebody like Orica or Galara. It's a shame Lola's not around to do it. Multimatic in the states and Andan Dome in in Japan, who could be building cars and getting some investment from somebody to go out and win Le Mans as a manufacturer. Go out and win Le Mans as a manufacturer. It 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 it, it could be another start of another glory glorious years but I'm not sure it's it's what the OEMs want I think they want to dominate and we've seen that with the DPI situation in the States so uh, we'll see but let's be positive about this it's happening it's happening in just under just over a year's time and we should celebrate it and, and, and get excited about it because I can't wait to see these cars when they get on the grid into the carousel for the final time halfway around the final four miles of four hours in fact we're all four hours of racing, once again the American Le Mans series over delivers in terms of entertainment as Guy Smith comes through the key for the last time, Lucas Lowe will surely have a look at Canada Corner he must try and do it, he's going to have to come from a long way
3: back, I don't think he's going to be close enough at Canada Corner he's going to have to make it, I think it turns 14 Uh, he's buried right on Guy Smith's tail as they go up the hill now, just two more corners to go
1: well he's sure that he can stick it up the inside going into the last corner, it's now now or never for Lucas Law and it's now and he's done it. He had to make it stick, but he's gone wide and here comes Smith. Drag race, oh, he's we has got a drag race. race and it's a little. Who's got the ponies? Who's got the ponies? It's gonna be the Mazda. The Mazda has beaten the Honda up the hill wow. and that is extraordinary, wow. fantastic. Well, fantastic action, unforgettable stuff from 2012 Road America. Guy Smith and Lucas Law going at it right to the very end of the race and that was the last time that a Mazda was in Victory lane. in what I think we can call uh, IMSA competition. John DeGeese, Sports Car 365's creator and founder and editor uh, is with us now. It's been a long time coming, um, I wonder if that makes it slightly sweeter even for the guys at Mazda and particularly John Doonan who's been with the programme all that time John. Good evening, welcome along. Yeah.
4: Yeah, great to be on again, uh, John. Yeah, it was an unbelievable weekend for for that organization. The you know, it's a long time coming like you said. Um they came so close on a number of occasions. I think um WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca last year, I think um Harry Tinknell was mentioning it like, you know, he was uh, having flashbacks of that of not having not having that mistake happen again, you know. They, came, they nearly pulled it off there last year and um, what an amazing race! You know, I, I was really, really impressed with not only their pace but the the charge from Penske at the end, and um, it, it made for a, a really uh, great ending.
1: Uh, I, uh, John John Doonan is one of those infectiously brilliant and just he he has so much enthusiasm. It's his infectious enthusiasm for the sport that I dare say that everybody other than the guys who their beat in, in Penske particularly, we're, were delighted for the moment down the pit lane. Uh,
4: yeah, absolutely. It was definitely a, a fan favorite win for for everybody involved. Um, you know, John's been part of that program since the very start. I remember with the BK Motorsports, um, rotary-powered uh, Mazda back in, what, 2005, I think, with Guy Cosmo and 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 jamie bach i think that was the initial lineup there and uh you know deep rooted in mazda for so many years and and they've been through so many challenges whether it be reliability um uh, strategy issues management etc and and to sort of see things sort of come around We, we we knew these cars were quick we knew we knew these cars had the pace, I think, since the middle of last year, but um, to put it together with, with such a result they had with that one, too, it was really incredible.
1: And how much does that mean for the program? We know that they're going into a TCR. We assume they're going into yeah. a TCR program with the new Mazda 3, which was uh, released recently. Um does that take off some of the pressure and and crucially does it ensure the continuation of mazda uh, with that uh, multi matric dpi through at least till the end of this set of regulations and and, and possibly into 2.0 dpi
4: well, I know for sure that this is a huge pressure relief, no doubt. Um, the program was put under a bit of scrutiny in, in recent months, you know, after not being able to really deliver that win. And um, we've seen the transformation at the beginning of the year with the uh, addition of a lot of Multimatic staff, you know, Lena Gade, um, Brad Kettler, uh, also Larry Holt Engineering. So we, we've seen a lot of changes. There's not as many Yoast personnel as we've seen before. Um, but in terms of the future, you know, I, I think having a strong finish to this year, get, maybe getting some more wins under their belt. Um, I don't know what their contracts are for, you know, next year and beyond. But, you know, I personally, I, I think if, if, if things continue the way they are, you know, it, it would be it would make perfect sense for them to continue in through the final two years of DPI. And, and I know and I'm sure Mazda's involved in talks with DPI 2.0 right now as well.
1: Which we'll come on to in a, a little bit. But before we leave Watkins Glen, I mean, it was it's another it, it's another fantastic event at the Sale and Six Hours of of the Glen. Uh, the four hour race on on Saturday, the pilot uh, challenge race delayed a little bit, but my goodness, we had plenty of action there. Lap records tumbling. Um, that's a very fast track anyway. I think we decided that that's the fastest IMSA race lap that we've seen including at Daytona. I think Daytona's qualifying was a tiny bit quicker. In terms of average miles per hour, we've still got Rhoda Murray get to come, so that might go. It's been a good season so far for Imza, and when you look at the tracks like Watkins Glen that they go to, uh, they've really put a good season together, and it's about consistency of date, equity of date, and and providing the fans and and the teams and sponsors with what they want.
4: Absolutely. I I had a good chat with Scott Atherton over the weekend and was trying to pry some information out of him about the (laughs) schedule for next year, and... He basically said, well, don't expect any major changes. And yeah. that's been the way the last few years. You know, we obviously had Mid-Ohio replace Coda, I think, two years ago. And um, the dates have remained relatively intact. I, I think next year you may you may see a one date change, maybe around Road America, um, due to the Olympics uh, coverage on NBC Sports. But other than that, I, I think, you know... It's been excellent racing. It's been um, great to have that continuity because fans know when those races are and you can start bringing those fans back to the track year after year. And and that is really important in trying to build up um, sports car racing in the U.S.
1: Is it important, John, that coming back after an enforced break because of Le Mans. And this year we had the Nürburgring 24 hours as well in, in that break, which isn't always the case, but is it important to come back with a big event? And there's no doubt that going to the Glen is a big event. People will have, who watched it on the TV coverage or the online coverage. We don't fill the grandstands there, but the infield is full. It's, it's another one like Daytona where there's a lot of people there, but you can lose a lot of people at the track. Is it important to come back with one of those blue riband events and get I know it's slightly longer than the second half of the season, but get the second half of of the calendar off to a a flying start.
4: Well, it just makes the most sense because this event has always been in late July, late June, early July. So it's kind of that traditional event on the calendar. So moving it to a different part of the year would actually seem a bit strange to me because Mm. back in the Grand Am days, you know, we had this event always around the same time. So um, yeah, it's, it's perfect time of year, you know, um, it always falls around Fourth of July, which is great because we generally see the the celebration liveries, the you know the, the patriotic liveries um, on the cars. Unfortunately, we didn't really have that this year as a directive from IMSA to sort of focus more on their 50th anniversary celebrations. Ah, yes. But it, you know, maybe we'll get them back next year. But but by but still, that Paul Miller Lamborghini looked really good in in that camo uh, design.
1: Um, if it was a good day for. Uh, Mazda, and it was. Uh, it wasn't a bad day for Penske. They sneak into the uh, lead of of the championship. So you know, great. And and after a slightly underwhelming year for Penske last year, things are are looking up for them, and and that's good news for them, clearly.
4: Absolutely, and, and it seems like they finally have got their groove on. You know, it was really up and down last year, um, pace wise, strategy wise, things weren't really clicking into place. And and it was surprising to see a team of that caliber, you know, much like Mazda Team Yost last year, you know, not really getting it 100% right, not being able to deliver. And we've seen the complete opposite, actually, for both organizations this year. But Penske, in particular, in having the consistency they have with Juan Pablo Montoya and, and Dane Cameron now taking over the points lead. I think it's only one point over the and Engineering guys. They had a horrid race, but um, still were able to not lose too many points, all things considered. But... Um yeah, uh Montoya was impressive in the closing stint because we knew we knew he didn't have anything for the Mazdas, but he did everything he could to hold on and um full credit to him.
1: What's the difference with Montoya this year? I said in commentary to Jeremy that when we have a happy and content one and a smiling one, we have a fast one. And he he, he was I don't know whether he was under pressure last year, whether he wasn't enjoying himself, but I didn't see much of Juan smiling last year. And maybe that reflected in his driving. I don't know. But this year he has been happy and I can't decide if one is a is a cause or effect of the other. Clearly, if he feels he's driving better, he's going to be happier. But is it because he's feeling happy himself? I, I, I don't know. But there's a change, isn't there?
4: There, there's definitely a change, and I, I can't pin it down either. It's it's an interesting one, um, because he's obviously had sports car experience in the past, winning what two or three Rolex 24s in the DP era. Um, you know, adapting to an LMP2-based DPI, yeah, maybe that took a little getting used to. But he had experience, you know, last year at Le Mans with United Autosports. He did Petit Le Mans the year before, so I, I don't think it was the car or, or the package or anything like that. But it, it may have just been a it may have may, may have just be a, a change of attitude for him, you know, mm-hmm. realizing how big IMSA has grown. You know, it, it would always interests me when Penske arrived in the championship, when they announced the likes of Helio Castroneves and Juan Pablo Montoya. Those are two superstars in the sport. And you, you'd almost almost think that going into IMSA is a bit of a downgrade for them, for their full season mm-hmm. program. And and maybe it, it once he realized how big IMSA really is and what it's growing to and the manufacturer involvement and the exposure globally, maybe it made him realize what he's really in and to appreciate the competitiveness of the championship and and, and where, you know, how great DPI racing is right now.
3: Um.
1: As far as GT is concerned, first win for the evil version of the Acura after a front row lockout by MSR. Nice job by them. That was the usual dogfight in the straight, the most straight car class. Porsche uh, hid their light under a bushel a bit. After actually not a great start to the weekend with various problems, but came good in the race. They were chasing setup. They were chasing electrical gremlins. Uh, things didn't go right until. The absolute end. Race started horribly for the nine one two, of which more in a moment. Nine um, eleven goes through. I think that's their fourth consecutive win uh, for for Porsche. They're putting a nice bit of momentum together. But what about Corvette? And I mean, an up and down day for them, John, uh, with the four car not even making a lap. And that was the car that was rebuilt at Le Mans, of course. And, and yet another great performance by Antonio Garcia. And in his two million four hundred forty fourth start for <laughs> Corvette Racing, Jan uh, 150th start, Jan Magnuson, And, you know, coming through second, battling to the end. That was just great, great to watch. But what have the four crew got to do to buy a bit of luck?
4: I have no idea because I, I spoke to Ali Gavin before the start of the race when it became apparent they were using their spare chassis that um, brought them a lot of success in the past. That was the car, you know, they'd used through the 2016 season that um, they had won the, the Rolex 24 in, the the mobile 112 hours of Sebring, the Corvette's 100th overall win in overall competition, 100th class win in overall, Ooh. you know, series competition and then the championship and and Ali was delighted to be back in that car and he didn't even get to drive in the race it was just it was just unbelievable i i, I don't know and and it you can't pin it down to anything it was you know a bit of frantic driving at the start of the race you know the 912 definitely was in my in my mind a little bit too aggressive at the start with with um, Van Thor and it ended up in another destroyed corvette luckily in this case it appears that their chassis isn't damaged and they're they're able to repair it for this weekend at ctmp and that's a good thing considering their other damaged car is currently on a boat on the way back to the u.s after they swapped the cars at lamar following um the accident over there
1: oh right that's not even back yet I didn't... no
4: no so they don't even have, i don't think they're going to be able to repair it until september or maybe even early october and at that point i i don't know if they've would because you know we're going to get new new cars for next year so um i think they have another spare chassis in the shop but it's a bare bones chassis you know so it would take a a huge effort to build up so um i spoke to their team manager ben johnson after the race and he seemed confident they'll be good to go for ctmp just repairing the car they had um the backup car they had at, at Watkins glen
1: yeah, I, I, and, well, yes, let's keep our fingers crossed for that. Another team that have uh, some work on their hands after uh, Watkins Glen is Rahal Letterman-Lanagan with that nasty-looking fire. Not sure what caused that in the in the refuelling. They weren't having a, uh, a great day, but they showed a little bit of pace at various times. But I believe they're going to get the M-Tech cars from... I'm not sure if they've got them already, John, but certainly I was told at the Nürburgring that those cars were either on their way or already with RLL.
4: Yeah, that's what I had heard as well. And I guess it's a, t- it's a timing issue there, um, whether they need to, you know, whether those cars would be a r- ready for a potential replacement this weekend at CTMP. I think Ray Hall actually has a third car I think they use for testing. So they may end up being okay. Haven't been able to talk to anybody over there just yet, but um, I'm sure once we get to CTMP, um, we'll be able to get to the bottom of that. But yeah, they'll definitely have a big arsenal of, of equipment um at least for the you know second you know le- le- last few months of the championship and even in the next year um the m8 program for at least bmw standpoint is confirmed for next year we believe with ray hall again so mm. um it- it'll be interesting to see what they use with those that equipment maybe they can even feel the third car at, at daytona or something for for the rolex
1: and, and here's a question that i'll throw out there because it's been asked asked of me and i don't know the answer. Um, although I think I know what the people involved would like to happen, let's assume it is Rehalla and Melanigan who run the cars again next year. Yeah. I don't think there's any reason not to do that. There's no reason why those BMWs couldn't go back to Le Mans as, a, as an IMSA entry for Le Mans, is there?
4: Absolutely. And I asked Jens Marquardt that um, during the Le Mans week, and he didn't want to answer. He didn't want to say it's a possibility. He <laughs> said, let's get he, let's, he said, "Let's get through the Le Mans this week. and Um, see what happens. But um, I know Bobby's been really itching to get back to Le Mans. Um, He's been trying to put together, he was trying to put together an LMP2 program for a numerous, a number of years. So um, if that opportunity arises, I'm sure he would jump at it uh, right away. And hopefully that does happen because, you know, there's still some uncertainty over what the grid will be in GTE Pro at Le Mans next year with the Ford's gone. Um, Maybe a GTE Pro Ford might surface there from ultimatic we're still not sure so um yeah some questions there but it'd be great to have another manufacturer with bmw um, back at the 24 hours
1: Yeah, and there's a lot of people, including Piers Phillips, um, the president of uh, racing for RLL, who would love to go back to Le Mans. He has a bit of success there, had pretty much a perfect run with Stracker there in LMP2 a few years ago. Now, uh, let's look forward to this weekend, John. Um, Another classic North American road circuit, by no means as smooth as what we had last weekend, but always throws up some fantastic uh, racing for IMSA in our trip over uh, over the border here to Canada. Um, what can we expect Who, in terms of the prototypes? I mean, can Mazda do it again? Is it a Mazda track or do we expect to see the Cadillacs come back? They, they didn't have the greatest run uh, at the weekend at Watkins Glen.
4: Yeah, I think it's going to be tough for Cadillac unless there's a BOP change, um, and I'm not too sure if this is one of those weekends that will allow for that. Uh, IMSA has a new rolling BOP system where they take the average from two races, and, um, and they're, they're allowed to make a certain limited number of changes um, between weight and, and power, and I'm not sure if this could be a, a race for that, for the the, the, the Cadillacs or not. Um, they seem to have generally struggled in, in you know, recently i would have to say so mm. um i'd put my money on either or on either penske or yost again um mazda should be strong i i think that you know i think most of the tracks we will go to for the second half of the year that car will be good at so um you know we could be on the start of a, a real big swing for for that team
1: um earlier on we were talking at I can't wait to get there, and we'll see you there when you arrive. Uh, the you get the uh, the press room uh, underneath where we are, so we can yep. stamp on your heads uh, <laughs> and make uh, and make noise if uh, if we don't like what you're writing about us. Um, so I always enjoy my, my trip up to uh, up to Canadian Time Sports Park, not not least because of the opportunity to talk to Ron Fellows and the management up there who really know how to get things done correctly. Um earlier on in the show, there's a couple of things that I want to run past you. We, we talked about. um Jose Maria uh, Lopez, uh, and um, and how lucky he is possibly still to have a, a Toyota drive. He's, mm. he's just been named as an Audi driver at the 24 Hours of Spa, which might be a little more in his wheelhouse.
4: Yeah, um, that was a bit of a surprise for me. I wasn't expecting to see that. Um, I'm not sure how much affiliation from Audi he's getting there. That's one of the Montiplas by Land entries. That's um, it's It's nominated for Intercontinental GT Challenge points, so it's an Audi-nominated car, but it's not an Audi sport car per se. So mm. the other entries have the direct factory support um, for the 24 hours this one doesn't um, but it was the same way last year and they ended up getting a podium I think they were the highest placed Audi in that in that race in, in 2018 so um, great for for Pachito um, you know, I think his last GT drive came in the FIA GT1 World Championship yeah. um, quite a while ago. Um, he was um, had, had a couple one-offs, I think, in San Luis, Argentina. I remember watching him down there. He was doing the TC2000 race and, and the um, GT1 race on the same weekend, and that's an incredible track, and there was a lot of fans there. Um, cheering him on, but um, yeah, it's uh, it's good to see him uh, diversify things a bit. You know, we don't know what his future is in Formula E right now. Um, he currently drives for Dragon, and there's a you know there was some talk he was going to walk away mid-season due to Dragon's issues over there. Um, he is confirmed again with Toyota for next season in the WEC, so he'll be he'll be back there. But um, adding some GT racing to the mix is is definitely a, a great opportunity for him.
1: 72 cars is a record entry for the total 24 hours of Spa. Is it too many, John? Personally,
4: yes. Um, we've seen we've seen this before where anytime you put, I'd say, over, over a 60-car grid at Spa, it just turns into a wreck fest. Um, last year wasn't as bad, but the previous years, you just see crash after crash after crash. Some serious ones where, um, you know, uh, red flags had to come out to put a helicopter on track to send the driver away. I, I just... I'm I'm not, I'm a little uneasy seeing that number of entries and I get what Stefan Rytel is doing. You know, he's trying to bring this race, you know, allow as many cars as he can in, into this race. Um, I don't know if any cars were actually denied entries, but you know, it's, it's, it's just not, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know how to put it. It's just, it's just a tough one because you don't want to deny entries, but then again, you want to have a good race. And, and I'm a little fearful that this race may end up being a bit of a, a wreck fest um, with so many cars and so many AM drivers, particularly in the event as well.
1: Yeah, we've said before in this program that a single category uh, where all the car's potential, it's be BOP class, are roughly the same and Frankly, you, me and the gatepost can all put our foot down on the, the yeah. long straights. So it all has to happen between in the braking area, which is ABS assisted. So it all has to happen between turning and apex and even pro drivers get frustrated uh, sometimes there. Let's keep our fingers crossed uh, for that. Uh, we've got John De Geese. Sports Car 365 founder and editor uh, on with us here uh, in the closing stages of this week's Midweek motorsport Series uh, 14, uh, episode 25 uh, this year. I want to finish off, John, if I may, about a couple of things. Earlier on, we were talking about the, the story that Audi have, uh, have, have, have confirmed uh, what they've been seeing all along about the lmp one 2020 regulations. They don't have a, uh, a streetcar and they're not planning a streetcar that they feel could take advantage of that in marketing terms. And they don't see a technology dividend in the regulations as they stand. Um, You and I have chatted, but we haven't had you on the programme since um, Le Mans and the, uh, I was going to say firming up, partial firming up of, (laughs) of those regulations. We've got DPI coming, Scott talking to us live on the race show again about that and how well that's going. And, There's there's been a a really good, it would seem uh, to me, having talked to people in the paddock, and you'll have talked to more people than I did because I I get locked in the, the comms box for quite a lot of it, but there seems to have been a really good exchange of information between IMSA and currently uh, engaged DPI teams and interested parties about where DPI 2.0 put forward aside at the moment, who've been quite vocal in what they want and what they don't want. But everybody else seems to be getting some kind of consensus here for DPI 2.0, which is 2022, of course.
4: Yeah, I, I think a lot of progress has been made in recent weeks. We Obviously had um, an initial meeting, I think, at the beginning of the year to sort of get the ball rolling. Um, then there was a, a steering committee group meeting on um, in the Mid-Ohio weekend, I think Thursday of, of race weekend. And then most recently we had one in Daytona um, the week of the Salem Six Hours the Glen. so last weekend. And there were more than 40 people in attendance. I, I spoke to Scott Atherton about it, and he said he arrived a little late and there wasn't a seat for him in the meeting. <laughs> and so I guess that shows how many people are really it. Interested in DPI 2.0, IMSA obviously is not really revealing many many details about what the dialogue has been ongoing. Understandably, they they want to sort of keep this a closed environment, um, and, and I respect that. Um, but things that I've been hearing have been very encouraging, um, especially around the hybrid situation. Um, there's always a debate over you know what it, you know we know that hybrids will be in dpi 2.0 that's already been confirmed um, the, the question is how big of a hybrid system are we talking a, a forty eight volt low low mild You know, style hybrid or something a little bit larger. um, That's still nowhere close to what we saw with LMP1 hybrid. You know, back in the you know the glory days of of WEC, or still currently with the with the Toyota in LMP1. But um, it seems like the last meeting focused a lot on the hybrid um, technology, about how it'll be implemented, how the safety measures will be used at the track, um, how teams, drivers, corner workers will be educated about it, and it was a very well-orchestrated meeting. Um, there seemed to be everybody was complimenting how well it was run, um, but as of now, from what we understand, at least, it seems that most manufacturers are in favor of a higher voltage option, um, which could give cars upwards of 100 horsepower of, of boost, of electric motor, of electric power. Um, in, in and you're going
1: certain- to feel that. I've driven I've driven a streetcar. The... Uh, very lovely Panamera Sport Turismo uh, mm-hmm. Turbo SE hybrid that I drove cross-country to Petite last year. That had a V8 4-litre for 500 and plenty horsepower, uh, and then just over 100, 140 brake horsepower on the... Uh, on the hybrid system. So getting on for 700 horsepower all told when you needed it. And you feel that there's no doubt you feel that in a, a, a large comfortable street car in a race car. That's going to, that's going to make a, a, a really noticeable difference to the performance. I, I do think it's interesting. You've been speaking to the head of uh, Lamborghini motorsport, Giorgio Sanna um about, about hybrid. And he's clear that it has to be in, in the future, and, and they're looking very closely at it. So if Audi's not going to commit to a prototype, either ACO or, or DPI, another VAG uh, group member, potentially?
4: Yeah, it looks that way for sure. Um, Lamborghini is definitely interested both in DPI and hypercar, although I get the sense they're leaning more towards DPI right now. Um, speaking to Giorgio last weekend at, at uh, Watkins Glen, um, he was really open about it, and, and that was great to see. Um, he... Didn't really want to give into any specifics, but they've given themselves a deadline of the next, like about 12 months from now, to make a decision. So they're basically just going to be evaluating the the landscape, see who commits, see who doesn't, see how the regulations unfold. Because, like you said, John, the the hypercar regulations are not really set in stone. Still, we have the idea of where we're going, but it's still not. 100% defined in some areas. Um, IMSA's DPI 2.0 regs should be confirmed by the end of this season. Um, oh, really? So, good. so that'll that'll be good um, to get that confirmed and um, buttoned up uh, under a draft set of regulations at least. But given how IMSA's worked in the past, usually there isn't much change from a draft set to the final set of regs. Um, but the prospects of seeing two Volkswagen Group manufacturers either in DPI or hypercar. It seems to exist. Um, I would say hypercar probably less likely. Um, From what I'm hearing, Porsche is probably the favored manufacturer to go into hypercar out of that group, um, possibly as early as 2021, 2022, the second season. Um, But in America, um, I think Lamborghini... Is probably a favorite, but Giorgio stressed to me it was something quite interesting, that if they were to do it, it would be a customer program. It would be similar to what Cadillac does with their D- DPIs yes. in, in offering support, technical support, maybe some financial support, but not having a full Lamborghini Squadra Corsa run operation. So that does open the door for maybe another manufacturer in DPI. He explained to me that if they were doing a full works program, they would need to get board approval from Volkswagen Group on this. Where Now, if they were doing just a customer Mm. programme, it it would only need to be done at the Lamborghini level.
1: That's very interesting because I'm led to believe that going back a a little while, there was a moratorium um, from Group about motorsport and particularly prototype-style motorsport in in the wake of their PR crisis uh, of a couple of years ago. uh, As far as I'm aware, that has not been lifted but that's at group level so if it can be if it could be agreed at board level at lamborghini or indeed any of the other vag brands then maybe it can i'll use the words i'll use these words these aren't anybody else's words they could sort of sneak through under the radar that's very interesting that's very interesting uh, indeed it'll come down to cost as well though john particularly for the privateers and a quick word on that
4: yeah, I think there's a lot of concerned teams in the paddock right now. Just when they start talking about hybrids and voltage and and deployments and 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 engineers, you know, almost everybody I speak, I'm speaking to, are saying that they're going to need another engineer dedicated to this hybrid powertrain because you can tweak a lot of things in the software and have it be a whole other element of the of the strategy in the race. So. Um, you know, a lot of these DPI teams already have four engineers, believe it or not, on these cars. And so, if you add another one, um, yeah, that's that's five. And are we getting to a point where it's the costs are just going to start spiraling, spiraling out of control? Um, speaking to Wayne Taylor about it, he's not the happiest. He he doesn't really see a need for hybrid. Um, I, I get that sense from GM as a whole right now, actually, um, where mm. it's like they they want to keep their existing platform eligible without any modifications because they see it as a, as a successful um, customer operation. And when you get the likes of, of, of Wayne, who was effective, who's kind of like the de facto factory team out of that bunch, they helped develop the car. They were a real integral part in that, in that organization. And when he's saying this, you know, that says a lot. So um, I think IMSA has to be really careful on, on how far they go with hybrid and, um, and really what they want this class to be, whether it's a, works full works factory uh category or a a mix of what we see now with 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 customer teams and um semi-works teams with some factory teams like like, like we see with acura and, and 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 Mazda.
1: john brilliant stuff as ever john degeese the founder and editor of sports car 365 looking forward to seeing you uh, in canada this weekend john have a good
4: absolutely. trip yep thanks absolutely looking forward to it
1: And that's just about all we have time for. To finish with a bit of sad news, I'm afraid, the uh, death at the weekend of Carlin Dunn on a Ducati motorcycle at Pikes Peak, a race that he'd won four times. Uh, We pass on our condolences to uh, his family, to everyone at Ducati and at the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb, proving again that motorsport is always very dangerous. There's no pleasure in us seeing that. But sometimes uh, the risk is what people enjoy and they have conquered the mountain four times for Carlin Dunn. He clearly had the passion and uh, we wish his family all the best. We'll be live from Canadian Tire Motorsport for Park from tomorrow, Thursday, right across the weekend with all of the action that's over on RS2 Imza Radio. From all of our guests tonight and from me, John Hindorff, thanks for listening. We'll see you over the weekend. Bye-bye. <laughs>